0: Sifter for the ear. News, News interviews, interviews, reviews, reviews
1: cinema, cinema, TV, TV streaming. streaming, action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, aka TV Jerry. Any longtime Richmonders may recognize the male voice that does the introduction to this show. It's Ray Bentley, who was known as the Midnight Movie Machine from 1974 to 1987. This
2: weekend, the Movie Machine presents Movie Madness at Midnight. Johnny- The Grateful Dead are back in the rock classic, Fillmore.
1: That was an excerpt from a radio commercial for the Midnight Movies. Ray Bentley started the legendary Midnight Movies in 1974. In those days, if you wanted to see an art film or an edgy indie or even something outrageous, the late-night movies were just about the only place. This was before VHS. Ray was also the co-owner of the famed Cha-Cha's during the height of the disco scene. And you may have seen him telling fascinating stories in my Dirt Woman documentary. We've got a lot to cover today, so let's jump in.
0: Sifter, review of the week.
1: Dahmer, Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story, on Netflix. Writer-producer Ryan Murphy has an obvious fascination with dark characters. Previously, he's examined O.J. Simpson, Versace's killer, and numerous creepy folk on American Horror Story. This notorious serial killer is played by one of his favorite actors, Evan Peters, approaching the role with a dark, brooding demeanor. The series follows some of his kills, layered with flashbacks from his formative years. Even though Dahmer's encounters are played out, the gory parts take place off-camera. Still, there are plenty of creepy moments as we delve deeper into his deranged mind. Every scene plays out slowly, trying to build the tension, but it sometimes spends too much time and requires patience. Since this may be the darkest Murphy has ever gone, many people will question whether it's worth a watch. That's understandable because it's a deep dive into darkness that's also disturbingly fascinating. I gave it three and a half out of five stars. Ray Bentley, my longtime friend, do you remember when we first met?
0: I remember the first important meeting that we had, and I had just become the advertising director for Neighborhood Theaters, and we had to have a a party for the media, and you called because you had been invited, and you said, I'm a vegetarian, so I have to have a vegetarian meal, but fish will be okay for me. And that's the first time I can remember meeting you.
1: (laughs) Well, now I don't even eat fish, but you got a better memory than I do. So what got you turned on to movies in the first place?
0: You know, I had a movie theater in my basement in Roanoke from the age of 12, and it started out with a silent movie projector with bedspreads for walls and a, a sheet for a screen in it. It advanced up to a 16-millimeter with paneled walls and uh, my mom's bridge chairs.
1: Who came in to see your movies, and how much did you charge
0: them? The neighborhood kids, and I particularly like showing them scary movies, and I can remember Robin, my sister, and she was probably only four or five years old, being scared to death when I showed her Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, and I I said, this is what I love about movies, that they can scare people, and I just decided that's the end of the business I wanted to be in, the presentation business.
1: And how did you get from there to Richmond and neighborhood theaters?
0: It all came crashing down for me when we moved to Richmond in 1967. My dad bought a, a Wheat radio here.
1: Footnote. W-E-E-T was a popular country music station.
0: All the neighborhood kids were into sports, and I wasn't. And And my dad would take me to movies, but I subscribed to eight or nine out-of-town newspapers just to study the movie ads, because that's what I wanted to get into, the publicity and promotion and the mailman hated me because he had to bring these big loads of newspapers <laughs> every day to the mail. My dad was in Rotary with Tom Connell, who was a New York model with a, a Radio City Music Hall Rockette for a wife. And they had come to Richmond, and he had become manager of the Little Lawn Theater when it opened. And my dad was telling him that his son really wanted to go into the theater business. Was there any kind of job he could get? And Tom said, yes, we have ushers. So I was at the National when it opened in June of '68 as the Town Theater, and I was there for about five weeks. My dad got so tired of coming downtown at 11:30 at night to get me that he went back to Tom and said, "Can we get him any closer to Bon Air?" And Tom called down to, to talk to the Home Office, and they said, "Well, we can put him in the West Hampton." And the day that they transferred me there, the guys were converting the theater over for a 70 millimeter presentation of 2001 A Space Odyssey, so oh. all the texts were there, and I was in hog heaven. I said, this is my dream come true. And I was at that theater for uh, until I graduated from Huguenot in 1970. In 1971, I became the youngest theater manager in the company's history. They turned the Westover Theater, which is now a church over on Forest Hill Avenue, and that was my job while I was going to college at VCU. <laughs>
1: Footnote Ray's going to reference lots of former movie theaters in the area, so here's a quick rundown. The Willow Lawn was at the shopping center from 1956 until 1981, best known for the 86-week run of Sound of Music. The West Hampton was built in 1938 in the popular Grove Avenue-Libby Boulevard area. It was demolished to make a condo in 2016. The Capitol was across the street from the current Science Museum, and it ran from 1926 to 84. The town was originally called The National when it opened in 1909, and it's now a downtown concert venue. The Westover Theater was built in the 50s on Forest Hill Avenue. The Ridge was a large multiplex near Regency Square where a Kroger now sits. Neighborhood Theaters was the dominant chain in Richmond for more than 50 years and ran all of these theaters. Sam Benheim III was vice president of Booking.
0: Against the wishes of my dad and my VCU mass communications professor, And neighborhood theaters who were, they said, were grooming me to come into the home office as an assistant advertising director. I quit school and went to Baltimore, Maryland to work for a bunch of guys that were putting together a small chain theater. And they wanted me to be their advertising director. And they were paying me at that time a lot of money, $300 a week with a $50 raise every six months. But that company went under in six months.
1: And then you got back to Richmond somehow for neighborhood.
0: I got back to Richmond when my brother called me. My brother was Terry Young on WLEE, and he actually changed his name legally to Terry Alexander Young. And he called me and he said, listen, I'm the number one jock at night from 7 to midnight. I got all these kids calling me. What do you do when you get off work? They said, "Let Ray, let's do a Terry Young midnight movie. You rent a theater. We'll pick a movie. I'll promote the hell out of it. And we'll fill it up with kids. I know we can make money doing this. So I called Sam Benheim and I said, would you consider renting us the the, uh, Willow Long Theater? Because that was the closest one to WLEE Studios to do a midnight movie. And my brother would promote it. And he said, well, I I think we would do that.
1: Footnote. WLEE was the big Top 40 AM station at the time.
0: He said, we'll let you have it on a Saturday night for $250. You book the film. You pay for the film. You pay the advertising. And we'll get, turn the receipts over to you. I went back to Terry and I said, what, what should we play? He said, Elton John did a soundtrack to a movie called Friends and it's Elton John blows up every time he goes on the radio. He blows every, every song goes to number one. You got to get that movie. It wasn't much of a movie, but it did have a great soundtrack by Elton. So we called Paramount and they gave it to us for $35. We paid $250 for the theater. We spent $450 on the radio and I think another $50 for newspaper ads. So we had $800 nut, and we ended up grossing over $1,200 on that Saturday night. So $200 a piece we made, which was close to what our salaries were back in 1974. Yeah. And so we went back to Sam and said, look, this did pretty good. We'd like to do this again, and we'd like to do it on Friday and Saturday nights. And he said, well, what we'd like to do is be your partner, and we'll split the, the rest with you. But we don't want to do it at Willow because... The shopping center has a percentage deal with us, and anything that we make, our our rent is based on what we do. And if you do another $100,000 in midnight shows there in a year, it's going to throw our rent sky high. Go to the West Hampton. Well, we did, and we did great. We sold out Night of the Living Dead. We sold out Psycho. But the problem is you can't put seven or 800 drunk teenagers in a theater that's decorated with priceless antiques without expecting some problems. So we had to back out of there and they gave me, finally, they gave me the Ridge Cinema. It was a fourplex at the time we went in there and they let us go on all four screens so we could play a horror movie in one screen and what we called a hard R, a Russ Meyer movie in another, which, which was an R rated movie that was pretty close to X rated. And then we'd play a rock and roll film, and then we'd play a comedy. So everything was going along great. And then Terry gets a job offer in New Orleans, and he said, I've got to take this. This is a major market. I can't stay in Richmond. So he was gone in a flash. And I went to the neighborhood, and they said, well, just call it Ray Bentley Productions. And I said, well, I, I don't want to say Ray Bentley. And they said, well, then the Productions. So we started doing RB Productions Presents. Well, RB's, the roast beef people, were getting calls because some of the movies were a little salacious and saying, why are you playing these movies? Right, right. You're in the roast beef business. So we had to change it to Ray Bentley, The Movie Machine. Midnight Movies this weekend at the Ridge Cinema. A
2: presentation of The Movie Machine.
1: Surprise guest, drop in. There's a surprise guest who's dropped in, whose voice I'm sure you'll recognize because he knows yours. Hi, Ray.
0: Wrap the capstan, John Valentine. <laughs> yes, John was the one that convinced me we could make my voice sound like not my voice. And uh, <laughs> this weekend, the midnight movie is so ghastly. <laughs> there John you go. was the
1: one. Yeah, and we played some of those spots already, and we'll play some more during the show too. So, John, what do you remember about working with Ray on all those crazy sessions?
2: I remember being in the studio until about four thirty in the morning every time we did one of those things, and <laughs> and then waiting to get paid. <laughs> I do remember a few funny things that happened.
1: Well, lay them on us.
2: Uh, so, you know, I was working part time at Q ninety four at the time, and uh, Ray asked me to go out to the Ridge Cinema and interview people coming out of the movie Sex World, which was a porno knockoff on Westworld. You know, these people come out, and I'm start sticking a mic in their face, and they start running the other way. One guy did stop and talk for five minutes about the color and the music and all this stuff. And (laughs) all of a sudden, on the other side of the lobby there at the Ridge, Cheech and Chong's up in smoke let out. So here come all these people. I went running over there with the mic and uh, started asking them, you know, what you think of the movie? You know, and I got some really great comments. They were fantastic. So I thought Monday night when I played them for Ray, I said, look, you know, I didn't get anything for Sex World, but you can use these for the Cheech and Chong part of the commercial. You know, Ray listened to him and he goes, nah, we'll use them for the sex world part of the commercial. <laughs> so, you know, the, the commercial starts off on, on the air, you know, with Ray going, here's what your friends and neighbors are saying about sex world. And here comes all these people who did not see that movie. <laughs>
1: great, know, right? great. Is that one of the ones that you sent me to play?
2: No, no, I, I haven't found that one yet. But, you know, I always, I always kind of had this, this uh, fantasy that a couple, a guy and a girl would be in the car somewhere driving along and the commercial comes up and she hears him. And she reaches over and smacks him and goes, you said you were going to Cheech and Chong.
0: <laughs> I do remember a guy saying it, uh, and one of them you used was, can I say hi to my mom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ray, what do you
1: remember about working with John on all those late night sessions, creating those spots? Of
0: course, it was before we had digital ability to you know, change voices, We had to wrap Scott's tape around the capstan to either speed up my voice or to slow it down. So there was a lot of work to it back then.
2: Ray won't remember all those 4.30 mornings because Ray recorded his voice tracks and then left, you know, and I was just left with a puzzle to put together.
1: And he trusted you with all the craziness or did he say, oh, let's use this thing and this thing? Cause I know there's all kind of crazy sound bites and sound effects and- Well, some of it was my
2: idea. I think I was responsible for coming up with a boing that always followed the mention of John Holmes. They call it nymphomania. This weekend is your last weekend to catch the X-rated blockbuster starring Marilyn Chambers and Big John Holmes. <laughs> think about doing those voice tracks, we used every professional talent in town for this stuff, I guess I shouldn't mention any names, but right. I'm sure you know all we know of them, who Jerry. they are. Yeah, right. we know who they are. And they would come in, and Ray would type up a script for them. It was just their lines, and they'd read them, and he'd give them a hundred bucks, and they're out the door. Later on, they'd call me up after they heard the spot mixed in with Ray's lines that suddenly changed the meaning of everything they said, plus all this, you know, a sleazy sound in music and and uh, suggestive sound effects and whatnot. And they
1: go, You didn't tell me it was going to sound like that. Don't tell anybody that was me. You got another story for us before you leave? or uh...
2: I do have one, if you have a couple of minutes, is how we got kicked off of XL 102. Sure. You know, Ray always ran like four movies. Usually, if you listen to these commercials, he would mention the movie, and then there would just be like an excerpt from the movie. And in one of them, he goes, you know, in Cinema 4, it's Cheech and Chong's up in smoke. And you hear uh, Tommy Chong go, is, you know, uh, is it good stuff, man? Will it get me high? And Cheech goes, how do you do? got wooden balls, man? Oh. <laughs> So they ran for a while, and, and apparently they didn't notice it or whatnot. Then one weekend, we did a spot that had this huge buildup at the beginning with a 20th century Fox theme. And you always knew that the bigger the buildup from the movie, the worse the movie actually was. <laughs> you know, Ray calls me a little after 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon. He says, hey, I just heard my spot on XM102, and a whole lot of
1: it's gone. Oh, <laughs> you know? they cut it. He goes, Yeah, and I got how do you do these balls too? <laughs> well, I'm glad you got through most of them. And I want to thank you for dropping in and for all those many hours you spent with Ray and his craziness <laughs> all night long. At
2: least I was getting paid for it. <laughs> My hat's on to you,
0: John. You were the best.
2: <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for sharing some of those spots with us.
2: Sure. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you, Ray.
0: Uh huh. So
1: that was convenient that he called in right as we were getting going on the midnight movies. So how, do, how long did that run and how much did it grow? I know you expanded to more theaters and that sort of thing. How did the whole thing
0: evolve? We ran all night movies at the theaters downtown in the late 70s. That started at midnight and lasted until six in the morning. Wow. And that was a whole different crowd. It was black exploitation films, horror films. And we got such a huge crowd for those things. And when they would leave at six in the morning, they would descend on White Tower And want real food because they'd eat the popcorn all night. Then they wanted, you know, breakfast. So White Tower would lock the doors because they couldn't handle the people coming in. It was just too many. And then they realized, well, they were, you know, they were walking away from a lot of money. So they said, just let us know when you're going to do these shows and we'll bring on extra staff and we'll pre-cook some stuff. So we started doing that. We booked Pink Flamingos, the first Richmond showing, and on Wednesday... Aubrey Davis's office, he was the Commonwealth attorney, called our general manager and said, listen, we hear that you're playing Pink Flamingos as a midnight show at the Capitol. And from what we understand, it may be uh, an obscene film. And if it is, we may have to act on it. And we just want you to know, because you've always been an upstanding community member to do business with. We've never known you to show a movie that we thought would would be a cause of us coming in and taking it. So the general manager came in and told Sam Benham, and he came in and said, Ray, what is in this movie? I said, can we screen it for him? Uh, So Aubrey Davis comes up that night with six of the Vice Squad boys. We had a screening room in our office, and we showed in the movie. We've all seen Pink Flamingos in this room, I'm sure. And many of the people listening to this will have seen it. And there are many scenes in the movie that are really in bad taste.
1: And you know what? It's funny. I've shown that to people recently, and they it's still shocking. I mean, it's still outrageous. Yeah, it is.
0: And when it was over, Sam Benheim said he wanted to get, get under the chair. He was so embarrassed. And Aubrey Davis just broke out laughing. He said, well, we're certainly not going to bust you for playing this movie, but I got to ask you, who in their right mind would pay to see something like this? And all the vice <laughs> guys were laughing. And Sam said, well, it's a it has a big cult following in Baltimore and Philadelphia and New York. And he said, well, I don't think it'll have that kind of following here in Richmond. And they left. And Sam said to me, Ray, I've never been so embarrassed in my life. I know you've got advertising money this week and I'm going to let you go ahead and play it. But I don't care if it sells out both nights, you're not going to hold it over and, and never ask me to play another movie like that again. And I, I went home like a whipped puppy, but don't you know he came in the next morning and he said, you know, I slept on that movie last night, and who in the hell is anybody to tell us what we can play and what we couldn't and what people should like? It's a big hit. I've looked it up. It's a big hit in other towns. You play it as long as you want to. And that was just the kind of man he was and what a pleasure it was to work for him. And I I miss him so much in my day-to-day life.
1: Now, how long did it run there? Because I know it ran a while.
0: It ran it for three weeks.
1: Anybody who's seen my documentary on Dirt Woman or wants to check it out, you tell the great right. story in that about how you dressed Dirt Woman up as Divine and brought him to the midnight movie of Pink Flamingos.
0: That was when we played it at the Ridge, and he was this fitting image of Divine. Tony Crowdock fixed his hair and his wig, and he had the same red dress that Divine wore in the movie. And when he walked down that steps at the Ridge from the mezzanine, everyone in there thought it was Divine. It was unbelievable. Yeah, great. People ask one of the most, unusual movies you play, there was a movie called Tarzan, Cheetah, and Boy, which was an X-rated parody of of Tarzan and Jane. And the guys that produced it said it was the next Blazing Saddle. So they had Sam and all the other bookers up to Washington to see it. And it it was a terrible movie. And they were embarrassed for the distributor. But Sam said on his way back, he thought, well, you know, this might be a good midnight movie for Ray. And at that time, I hadn't played an X-rated movie at the Ridge, but he said, you can play this one because the nudity in it is very unoffensive. So we booked it, and we made a hilarious commercials for it. And it sold out the Ridge Cinema 1, and we had to move over into the Ridge Cinema 2 and fill that house. Through.
1: And those are big theaters. What is that, about four or 500 seats?
0: 500 seats and 800 seats. Wow. And the distributor called, and he said, what in the world did they do to get this kind of business? We put, had that, no business like this anywhere in the country. He says, well, they just made some great commercials for it. So we started playing it at the drive-ins for midnight shows. We took it to Norfolk. We took it to every small town in Virginia, Harrisonburg and, and did the same kind of business everywhere. And don't you know that Edgar Rice Burroughs family got wind of it and got an injunction against the film and had to declare it declared because you know, they <laughs> had the rights to that name. It's, and so we had to withdraw it. We could have been playing it for five years after that. Wow, The Sex World ran for a year. Sex World was amazing. And and people loved it. And they came back to see it over and over. But Caligula was probably the most controversial movie we played. And we played it for four weeks at the Ridge before it was withdrawn from release. And we could have played it a year. And the college kids were bringing their friends, you know, almost like a dare. I dare you to watch this whole movie because it had some really. pretty outrageous stuff in it.
1: Yeah, it does. (laughs) Footnote Caligula was released in 1979, and it was a controversial erotic bio of the notorious Roman Emperor. I guess I'm assuming VHS was kind of the death knell of midnight movies to a great extent.
0: The real death knell was neighborhood theaters were sold to Cineplex Odeon, and they did not like the midnight movies. What year was that? Do you remember? They took over in '86. I ran the midnight movies until May of '87. So I ran them for 14 years from 1974 in 1987 and then they stopped and it was video that really hurt us besides the fact that they raised the rent to the point where it was wasn't profitable but attendance was down ironically when i left richmond i went into the video business in baltimore so, but I, but when sam benheim bought the theaters back he asked me to come back and be his advertising guy and i and i did because he had been such an important part of my life
1: Less- Rewind, as it were, a little bit back to the 70s, because you were also involved with the Cha-Cha Palace and the Club Cha-Cha. Those were two of the great uh, after-hours discos back in the disco days. How did that happen?
0: Thanksgiving, 1974, Tony Craddock and I were roommates on Grove Avenue, and Tony was dating Wayne Cash, and they're still together after all these years and they said we want to put together a club an answer to the 409 club because as betty davis would say what a dump and it was a dump but it it was a place that everybody went and we said we can give them something better we can give them a real dance floor with real lights a real DJ, and uh, if I would put up some money, I could have a a minority partnership in it, and I agreed to do that. So we opened the Cha-Cha, I think it was 719 West Broad, downtown, right at VCU, and it was hugely successful. When they opened it, Wayne and Tony said, listen, we want this to kind of be upscale, so none of these transient hookers that are running up and down Broad Street, they can't come in here, okay? And that included Dirt Woman.
1: (laughs) Footnote: I can't believe I have to tell my listeners who Dirt Woman is, but she was a notorious drag queen in Richmond. Check out my documentary.
0: But I had to be the one to tell her. And when I would go out to tell her she couldn't come in, she would, she would insist on seeing Wayne or Tony and they wouldn't come to the door. And she would thought I was just keeping her from seeing them. And she was ready to fight me and I made some off-the-cuff remark about to her. And she thought that I had threatened her life and she went down and took out a warrant. For me for threatening her life, and they came and <laughs> picked me up and charged me with that. And we went to the first trial, and the judge believed her, and he said, "Well, I'm finding you guilty and a hundred dollar fine, and you leave Donnie Corker alone." I couldn't let that couldn't let that stay. I went and hired a lawyer and appealed it, and and they they of course dismissed it because the lawyer I had just on the um, stand. But Donnie and I became very good friends after that. And did he ever get in the club? He got in the club much later. Well, Gandhi started behaving himself a whole lot better, you know, right, after that. Right, right.
1: Now, how was the club cha cha different from the Cha Cha Palace?
0: The club cha cha on Main Street was in an old bank building, whereas right. the, the Cha Cha Palace was in an old car dealership. So it was much bigger. And the, the club cha cha was more intimate. We had the velvet ropes out front. You know, Wayne and Tony and I used to go to New York to Studio 54 when you had my limousine pulling up front and Tony Craddock getting out in her outrageous outfits, and we would never have trouble getting in 54. And so when we opened the club cha-cha, it was originally called Club Fame, because David Bowie had that song fame out right. and what they thought that would be a great name for it. And we had the velvet rope and all we and every the doorman let just certain people in.
1: Yeah, and the DJ was in the bank vault, which was also a cool aspect of it.
0: And we had a nice dance floor and then they had an upstairs room too. I mean it was it was just much nicer, but much smaller than the Cha Cha. So we couldn't do the huge numbers that we did in, in the original Cha Cha Palace. But at the same time I was doing midnight movies all over the country. Philadelphia and Washington, Baltimore. So it was very Rare that I was even in town on weekends, so I didn't get to see a lot. But I started doing some music promotion, and I started managing Dickie Disgusting and the Degenerate Blind Boys. And they looked dangerous. And they acted dangerous, but they were real sweethearts when you got to know them. Yeah,
1: And, of course, there's the famous scene in the Dirt Woman doc that many people remember when Dickie discussing mud-wrestled with Dirt Woman right in the cha-cha.
0: That's how it came about. Dickie kept saying, you ought to let me mud-wrestle Dirt Woman. And I said, well, I don't think it'd be like trying to handle a grease pig. And he said, I'll do it. I'll do it for the publicity. So they arranged it, and it was a big sale. It didn't last very long. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, It was over in a few minutes. But uh, it definitely made the news. <laughs> yep. So when
1: did the club cha cha close down?
0: The club cha cha closed. See, so it opened around 80, probably within two years. And that was because the ABC board, they singled our club out where they were let other people brown bag. They singled our club out because we got a controversial crowd. And Tony Craddock had to go to court many times on behalf of the club, and lost all the cases. And then she just eventually said, Wayne, just sell the place. And they had offers on the building all the time. It's a wonderful building.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something in there now. So that was 82, and now we're 2022. So that's, uh, let me do my math, 40 years later. What have you been doing for 40 years?
0: I'm pretty much retired from show business, but I do have a booth at the fabulous Bellwood Flea Market, where I sell DVDs and CDs. And I have a huge selection, and people come out there all the time asking me to find the movies, and I do. And that's my connection to movies right now. That's
1: it. I always like to ask everybody, what are you watching right now when you're sitting at home and relaxing?
0: I buy DVDs at auction. I have 10,000 DVDs. And so I I watch old stuff and new stuff. Last week I watched Pinky, which was a controversial 1949 movie about a light-skinned black woman who returns home to the Deep South and has to deal with all that discrimination. I watched 1883, the prequel to Yellowstone, and I just got, because I watched the Emmys the other night and the Ozarks won some awards, I just got the four seasons of Ozarks and I'm going to watch them tonight.
1: Uh, you'll enjoy that one. That'll get you.
0: I was the only person in my family that didn't go into radio. My brother was Terry Young, my sister was Betty Bodine, my other sister was Robin Bentley, and they were all on the radio. I was the only one. The only time I was on the radio was in commercials. One of your
1: connections to the movies is me. We still get together and go to movies at yeah, least. Absolutely,
0: and I love it. I love it.
1: Well, thank you so much. I will look forward to seeing you at a movie soon. Yes, sir. That was Ray Bentley, the creator of The Midnight Movie Machine, which popularized the concept of midnight movies starting in the 70s. Links to some of the things we discussed are on the webpage at tvjerry.com. By the way, Ray mentioned to sister, Robin. Her voice is the other voice on this show. Speaking of Ray, here he is again.
2: Coming soon.
1: In theaters. Halloween ends. They keep promising, but Michael Myers returns for one last time to face his greatest adversary, Jamie Lee Curtis. Piggy is a Spanish import about an overrate woman who becomes involved in dark events. Stars at Noon is the latest from Claire Denis, about an American journalist in Nicaragua who falls for a mysterious Englishman. Dark Glasses from Dario Argento comes this thriller about a woman who must flee a killer after she's been blinded. Pretty Problems. A couple spends the weekend in wine country with a rich couple, and things go bad. The storied life of J.J. Furkey, about a bookstore owner whose life is changed when an unusual package shows up at his store. Terrifier 2, yet another serial killer on the loose. And for families, La Lao Crocodile is an adaptation of the popular children's book.
0: TV and streaming.
1: The Curse of Bridge Hollow on Netflix. When a teenager unleases spirits at Halloween, her father, played by Marlon Wayans, has to help. Penn and Teller Fool Us on The CW. Fourteen aspiring magicians show their tricks to this famed duo who try to guess how it's done. Rosaline on Hulu. A comic retelling of Romeo and Juliet from the point of view of the girlfriend Romeo dumped. Mama's Boy, a story from our Americas on HBO Max is a look at the life and influences of Oscar-winning writer Dustin Lance Black. The School for Good and Evil on Netflix. Paul Feig directed this story of two friends at an enchanted school starring Rachel Bloom, Charlize Theron, Kate Blanchett, and Michelle Yeoh. That's it for this week's show. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. See you next week. For more
0: Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews.
1: visit tvjerry.com.
0: That's a wrap.